what is my purpose? Right now, my purpose is being a dad to my kids and doing the best job I can in, in, in raising them. That's, that's priority number one for me right now. All right. So today we have Derek Foster, who is one of, in my opinion, Canada's most seasoned stock investors. Um, investing in stocks has given him the opportunity to retire at the age of 34. And, you know, there's and I was just talking to Derek about this earlier. There aren't a lot of Canadian and in stock investing books um, compared to the United States. Um, but Derek Foster's books are simply amazing. And when I read his books, I thought I had to get him on the show to tell his story. Um, he has, Derek, you have about like five national bestsellers, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Uh, it's six, but yeah, yeah. Six. See? Um, so, um, Derek, thanks for coming on the show today. Really, really appreciate you coming on. Okay. And thanks for having me. No worries. And, um, Derek, I think, you know, it's, we're really in interesting times, um, especially with, with, um, the current economic state that we're in. Um, like, how do you feel about the current economic situation? It's, it's probably... In my opinion, nothing like we've haven't seen before, just because it's caused by a pandemic. Yes. Um. But what's your what's your current take on it? Oh, on the right now? <laughs> I can make a prediction. I'm going to be probably wrong uh, if we if we go forward a year from now or whatever. <clears throat> um. I don't I don't know how long the pandemic will last. I don't know how how severe it's going to be. I'm not an expert in that area at all. So so my prediction would be you know just a bunch of googling like everybody else is doing essentially. Um, all I know is that eventually it will come to an end and things will return to some sense of normalcy and, and, and life will go on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a, that's a fair point. Um, so Derek, just, just to start off with your journey, where were you, where were you born and raised? Born and raised in, in Ottawa. Okay. And, um, how was your, how was your upbringing? Like, where did you, where, like, where did this interest to invest in the stock market come from? How did that come about? Gee, that's a really good question. Um, when I was younger, <clears throat> my dad had his own business. He had a, a used appliance store. So it was a small business, you know, but but he he, he was an entrepreneur and, and, and did that for many, many years. Um, when I was a kid, I don't know, at some point, maybe I was seven or eight years old, I came across the game Monopoly, which I'm sure everybody's played. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I was just hooked and I, I was chasing people around to play Monopoly. My mom, my aunt, my uncle, whatever, anybody that would be willing to play Monopoly. Uh, my mom jokingly referred to it as monotony after a while because she got bored of playing it with me. <laughs> um, but, but what struck me instantly is, is the idea in, in the game, you know, you, you lay out some money, you invest in, in houses or hotels. And, and then you get an income stream. And, and you know, if, if your strategy in the game is simply to pass go, um, it doesn't work out very effectively because eventually, you know, all your money is gone, basically. But but if your strategy is to buy houses and hotels and invest your money, um, you have a chance of, of winning the game. And that's just sort of struck me and I guess stuck with me um, as I got older, because when I looked around, most people were, were just striving to pass go. In other words, just striving to 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 essentially collect a paycheck and investing just made a lot more sense to me. And that's that's very interesting. So what age did you start investing in the stock market? Uh, my first investment when I was uh, ooh, 18 or 19 years old, I think it was 18, 
Um, I bought, like I was working part-time as a student saving up for university. I, I worked at a company called Radio Shack. It's, it's now called The Source. Um, but we're going back many, many years here I, now. I remember that. I remember that. Remember that. So I was working there and um, they had a share purchase plan. I, I forget what the percentage was. Maybe it was 5% or something of your, of your salary could go into, into these Radio Shack shares. So I started doing that. And then I talked to a couple of other people that had bought the shares, you know, 10 years prior and had made tons of money or whatever. And I took a look and the store was busy enough and, and the shares had been trading at $60 a share the, the year before I started working there. And, and, and I checked up the price at that time and it was $24 a share. So I figured they were 60% off. So I took my life savings. I think it was about $5,000 at that time. We're going way back in time here. And I, I bought, uh, put it all in Radio Shack stocks and within six months or so it, it fell to $12. And so I had saved up some more money. So I bought some more shares and then it went down to $6 in which time I got discouraged and sold. So my first investment was maybe a 75% loss of what I had invested. That was my first experience in the stock market. And that's interesting, you know, that being your first experience and you stealing, still wanting, what, what wanted you to continue investing? What, I mean, most people, they, they, they'd get that 75% loss and they'd say to hell with this, but what made you want to keep going? Well, I, I had that to hell with this kind of approach originally too. I said, okay, this, this is too hard. I began to, you know, sort of make excuses in my mind as to why the stock market's a rigged game and whatnot. Um, it's hard to accept responsibility for one's actions. But over time, um, I, I started looking at mutual funds for a while and invested in some mutual funds and whatnot, did that for a couple of years. But gradually, I began to realize that the, the, the stock market is probably the greatest wealth creation tool ever invented for, for average people who, who, who don't have their own business or, or, or whatnot. Um, so I began to realize that. And I also began to learn a little bit about investing and realized, you know, rather than the stock market being a rigged game, I had just been a total idiot as far as my approach to investing. So, so I started with mutual funds for a while, swore off investing in, in, uh, in individual stocks. But then I read an article about Warren Buffett. This is going way back. I mean, he's well known now, but at that time he wasn't. And uh, I just started reading and researching about him and, and acquiring information about how to buy stocks. And then eventually I started in, investing in stocks again. It's very interesting that you say that because I find that um, a lot of times, I mean, we as as human beings, we try to tend to do stuff ourselves instead of looking at the people who have done it a hundred times very, very well. Um, and you can do things very, very well just by following what other people have done very, very well, right? So um, it's interesting that you're, 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 you took that, that, that approach. Well, it's the old, the old adage, you know, smart people learn from their mistakes and uh, really smart people learn from other people's mistakes, I guess. So I'm guess I'm not that smart. I learned from my own mistakes, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't, you, you know, you didn't have to reinvent the wheel. You just, just basically copied the approach that many other, many, many other people have followed, you know, th throughout the years. And I, I just researched what they did and, and sort of, you know, tried to, tried to mimic them to, to as much, much as I could basically. Fair enough. Now, um, you know, as I read your books and I mean, just investing in general, whether it be real estate um, or stocks, um, I think there's there's a, a big misconception um, when it comes to stock investing being risky. Um, but you outline very well in your books um, and strategies as to why um, that isn't necessarily the case. There's there's excellent ways to reduce um, that risk. How do you how would you define risk? Risk is the possibility of something bad happening because you don't know what you're doing. 
Um, and, and that's the key, because the first time I had bought stocks, I hadn't done any research. I hadn't done any reading. You know, nobody has to take a course before they start investing. Anybody, as soon as you reach the age of majority, can open a brokerage account, put some money in and start buying and selling shares. Right. And that's why it becomes, quote, quote, risky, because a lot of people do that without doing the prior research and reading and 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 learning, you know, how to do it effectively. So, you know, the analogy I would use is, you know, we we all drive cars. I mean, we'll get self-driving cars eventually, but right now we all drive cars. Well, nobody just gets behind the wheel of a car and tries to start driving. That would be incredibly risky and you would end up having an accident because you haven't learned how to do it properly. So, you know, we have a requirement, you know, you have to you have to go through a course, you have to be um you know, evaluated by a tester or whatever, and then you pass and we have a graduate license and eventually get your driver's license. You're able to drive all on your own. And then would you consider driving a car risky? No, it's not. As long as you're not speeding or drinking and driving or texting while you drive or whatever, it's not that risky because you have the prior information. So it's the exact same with investing. I mean, you know, if you just open a brokerage account and start investing, yeah, it's very risky. But if you, if you learn how to do it properly, then no, it's not very risky at all. Great point. Um, Derek, you're, you're the lazy investor. Was that your first book? No, the first book was called stop working. Here's how you can. And that basically outlined how I was able to retire at 34. And that outlined the, the essential criteria you're looking for when you're investing in stocks, because in the stock market, the best thing that you can do as an investor is avoid the crummy businesses. And over 90% of businesses are crummy businesses. Um, they don't have a competitive advantage. They compete based on price. You know, they're, they're, they're affected by the, the, the activity in the economy. I mean, you know, those are generally terrible businesses. So the best thing you can do, first of all, is to avoid the bad businesses, which, which sounds kind of silly. You're thinking you're looking for the big home run, but you're not necessarily. You're looking to avoid essentially the unforced errors. So, so once you do that, so my first book, Stop Working, outlined the criteria. So you're looking for something that's simple. You know, people are drawn in, people are very attracted to think that things that are complex and stuff, but it, it shouldn't be that way. I mean, one of my investments I've had for many years is Colgate toothpaste. And if you think about it, that's simple enough for a six-year-old to illustrate with a crayon. Um, you know, basically you get up in the morning, you, you, you brush your teeth. When the tube runs out, you buy another one. Um, there's two major brands of toothpaste that, that have the lion's share of the market, and that's Colgate and Crest. And it's been that way for decade after decade after decade. So, you know, this, this is very, very simple. And, you know, even during our current times, I mean, you know, we have the virus pandemic right now or the economy's perhaps off the rails, whatever. People are still brushing their teeth and they're still making money. So, you know, there's there's eight or nine criteria. I think I listed my first book. And th that's one of the things that outlines is looking for the quality, quality companies instead of the, the crummy companies. And, and most of the companies or the stocks that you can invest in are um, crummy, crummy investments, in my opinion. Very true. Can you can you touch on um, I guess the nine strategies that you that you use, and then why you 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 chose those nine strategies? Yeah, not necessarily nine strategies, but 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 more criteria. So I want something that's recession proof, so that will will do well in good times or bad. I want something that's been operating for many many years, decades in in, in some cases. So the example of Colgate, and I'm not using that as hey, this is the best stock in the world. I'm just using it as a as a illustrative example. I mean, Colgate's been operating since I don't know the exact year, something like 1892. You know, so it's been operating longer than anybody in the world has been alive today sort of thing. Um, so, so you're looking for long operating histories. You're looking for companies that pay a dividend because I found with most investors, they're treating it like a casino. 
they're they're trying to buy a stock for ten dollars and sell it for twenty or that kind of thing, make a quick gain and get out. I mean, the analogy I gave in my first book is it's sort of like you know you have your money, you have your your seeds. And, and you're planting them and you're growing a tree. Well, the typical investor wants to quickly grow a tree and then chop it down for firewood, sell it, make a quick gain and get out. Um, but, but I focused on dividends. Dividends are a check that the company sends you every three months. And so I still plant seeds and grow a tree, but rather than cutting it down, what I do is I try to harvest the fruit. Those are the dividends because then I can come back the next year and harvest the fruit again and again and again. And again, and so with the example of Colgate, it's paid uninterrupted dividends for over 100 years. So that means every three months you get a check in the mail. So to me, that's huge. Okay, Um, I also like companies that have increasing dividends. So um, Colgate has increased dividends over 50 consecutive years. That means this year you get a dollar a share next year, a dollar 10 next year, a dollar 20, you know, and, you know, it's kind of like harvesting the fruit. You're getting more and more and more and more fruit every single year. So, so that was another component. Um, another component is I want something that has a competitive advantage or, you know, something that will make consumers keep going to that particular one. So in the example of Colgate, and again, I got to reiterate, I'm not, I'm not advocating just for Colgate. I'm using it as an illustrative example, but for Colgate, I mean, when, if you go shopping or whatever and you say, hey, I need some toothpaste, you go down the toothpaste aisle, there's, I mean, teeth are kind of important. You know, you only get one, well, you get your baby teeth, but then once you get your adult teeth, you get one set for your entire life. So you want to take care of them. So, you know, if a tube of Colgate toothpaste is a buck 50 or a buck or two bucks or whatever, and then there's some no-name brand beside it, you're not really willing to risk it for the sake of a couple of dollars, you know, for the sake of saving, you know, 25 or 50 cents off the purchase. So they have the, the, the consumer loyalty that kind of thing. And you want something simple. Again, I reiterate that, like simple enough for a six-year-old to illustrate with a crayon. So it's easy. You know, um, a lot of people are interested in biotech or nanotech or something that I, I have no clue. I mean, my my strength as an investor is not that I'm that smart because I'm not, but the strength is knowing that I'm not that smart and avoiding the things that are difficult. So when you get into high tech, and I know some people have made money, um, you're running on the treadmill 100 miles an hour to keep ahead of the other guys because if somebody else in, you know, invents a better, better gizmo, you're, you're out of business tomorrow kind of thing that doesn't, doesn't work that way with Colgate toothpaste. So those are my basic criteria that I focus on when investing. I love it. Very, very sound, straightforward. Um, nothing, nothing complicated. That's why I really like your, your the way you even, the way you even put your books together, it's, it's very sound, very easy to understand because there's just so much information out there. Yeah. Um, I, I think and that's a problem too. Yeah, well, there is a lot of information. Some of it's, again, just like stock, some of it's good and, and some of it's less than good kind of thing. But again, to reiterate with investing, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever played tennis. Like I play tennis, I'm not that good at it. Um, I've played people in tennis. Now, some people are, are phenomenal, right? They can overhand smash serve and stuff and, and get, get points and stuff. And that's great. But sometimes the guy that just hangs back and just keeps returning it, returning it, you know, and never makes an unforced error, d- doesn't do this, these amazing shots or anything, but never makes the unforced error, ends up winning in the end. And it's the same with investing. If you don't make those unforced errors, if you don't, if you don't gamble in essence, if you stick to the simple things that are not rocket science-y, but, 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 but consistent, you end up doing quite well over time. Very true. Um, just really quickly, and some of our listeners may not understand what a dividend is. Can you just really explain um, what a dividend is? Yeah, yeah, no problem. So basically, uh, a company that's established, they they Colgate sells a tube of toothpaste and they make money, right? They make a profit. Everybody does that, right? So they, you know, if they're selling a tube of toothpaste for a dollar, it might have cost them, I don't know, 50 cents to make or whatever, right? So the difference is their profit, right? So at the end of the year, Colgate sells, you know, 
I don't know, a billion tubes of toothpaste or whatever, their profit might be, I'm just going to use random numbers here totally, but there might, their profit might be $100 million, let's say. So they have all this money. So what do they do with that money? Now, if you start your own little business, you start like a coffee shop or a restaurant or whatever, at the end of the year, your profit, a lot of people will take that profit and spend it. And that's how they live. That's how small business people survive, right? They use that to pay the bills and whatnot. But with a company, it's the same sort of thing. So they have this profit. What do they do? Now, they could choose to grow their business. You know, maybe Colgate will start manufacturing dental floss and sell it to people or whatever, right? So they could use the money for that. But if it's an established business, if it's a mature business, oftentimes they'll give that money back to shareholders. They'll give that profit back to shareholders. And that's basically what a dividend is. It's a portion of the profits that the company sends you back. And that's why I try to focus on things that are more recession resistant, sorry, recession resistant or, or stable, big, solid companies. Because, you know, if a company does really well this year and the next year it doesn't do so well, it can no longer send you the dividends. So, you know, with my with my Colgate toothpaste example, they're going to sell the same number, well, probably a little bit more um, tubes of toothpaste every year. They'll make a little bit more money and they'll be able to keep increasing the dividend. They'll be able to keep increasing the amount of money they send to shareholders, basically. Got you. Got you. Now, I really like your your book, The Lazy Investor. Yes. When I, when I first seen the title... Um, I was like, should I pick this up? Am I lazy if I pick this up? But I feel like interesting titles have interesting things to say. And I, I found out some unique stuff that I never um, learned about, which is the drip strategy. Can you explain what a drip is to our, our listeners? Sure, sure. So I wrote my first book and that's all that was on, on plan, which was the stop working book, you know, explaining how I retired at 34. And, you know, it, it had a, a degree of success and I was happy about that. And then I was talking to my wife and I said, I'd like to, you know, write a book, write another book, you know, and she said, well, you already wrote your investment book. You basically don't know anything else. So don't bother kind of thing. And I said, no, no, no. I want to write a book for, for beginners or for, for kids is what I was thinking. Cause we have, we have kids, but, but I was thinking, you know, write a book for beginners. And so what's the common theme with beginning investors is generally they, they, they might not have a lot of money to start. And that's okay, you know, because with investing, you can start with a lot of money, invest it and make a little bit more money. So you have more than a lot of money kind of thing. Or the other approach, it's kind of like a snowball. You know, if you take a little snowball, you know, we all live in Canada here. I don't know if your podcast reaches mostly Canadians, but you make a little snowball and you put it on the ground and you start rolling the snowball. What happens is it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. So a tiny little snowball, if you roll it 10, 20, 30 feet, it becomes that that huge ball that you can you can essentially make a snowman out of. Well, investing is the same thing. So if you're young or relatively young and you have time ahead of you, but you don't have a lot of money, you can still plant some of those seeds. You can still, you know, invest a little bit of money, a few snowflakes, as let's say. And, you know, that's your little snowball, but then you start rolling it. So with drips, the idea, as I talked about a minute ago about dividends, where the company sends you that money with drips, drip stands for dividend reinvestment plan. So basically when the company sends you that check, rather than sending you cash, they will use that cash to buy a few little shares. So let me give you an example. Suppose you buy a comp- um, 100 shares of ABC company, and let's say it pays a 4% dividend just because that makes our math easy. So if it pays a 4% dividend per year, that means it pays a 1% dividend per quarter or for every three months. So you have 100 shares and you enroll in the drip and you wait. Well, three months later, you will get a dividend check of 1% as we agreed. And let's assume the stock price stays the same just for simplicity. So you get a 1% dividend, but you don't 
you don't get cash, that's automatically buys more shares. So since you had 100 shares and there's a 1% dividend, they will now send you one additional share. So you will have 101 shares. And then you wait three more months and then another dividend is paid. But now you don't get 102 shares because you're going to get a dividend on the original 100 shares that you bought. Okay, that's your one share. But you're also going to get a dividend on that additional one share you bought through the drip in the in the previous quarter. So you're going to get like 1.01 shares. So now you have 102.01 shares. You wait three months and then you get another dividend. Okay. And you're going to get a dividend on the original 100 shares, but you're also going to get a dividend on the 2.01 shares you have. So now you have 103.2, whatever, whatever. I don't know the math in my head, but you know, and it keeps going and going. And that little small extra amount doesn't sound important, but that's the whole idea of compounding. That's the whole idea of each incremental dividend you invest grows and grows and grows like that snowball that becomes the big boulder, you know, that you're able to, 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 to make a snowman with. So that's essentially the idea of drips is just the dividends are automatically reinvested and you grow your wealth over time. That's what uh, Albert Einstein said, right? Yeah. He said, that's one of the, what was it? The biggest wonder of the world is compound interest or something to that effect. For sure. Um, great explanation. Quick question on that though. Let's say, um, you're invested in a drip. Um, and then when they're actually reinvesting your dividend, if the amount of shares that you have, um, doesn't equate to purchase a, a full share, yes. is it still, are they still able to invest partial amounts of the share? Yeah. So that's why I wrote the lazy investor, because at that time, if you, well, still actually, if you buy if you have a regular brokerage account, and you enroll in the drip, they will only do full shares. The fractional shares will be paid to you in cash. Um, got you. With the approach that I, I I can't get into all the the hoops and whatever that you have to jump through to register the shares in your own name, it's it's in the book The Lazy Investor. But basically, if you register the shares in your name directly, then yes, you can reinvest fractional shares, and that's the key to the compounding when you're getting started. I, I also said in the book once you have a certain nest egg, I think I pegged it at fifty to one hundred thousand dollars, then you remove yes, the drips yeah. and you you continue to invest in a more in more reason you know more um, traditional fashion. But but when you're starting out, those fractional shares really add up over time. Got you. Got you. Um, that's a great, great explanation. So, um, Derek, so with, with your, your strategy, I also read money for nothing. Yes. Um, and you also talk about an option strategy. So when yes. I first, um, read the book and, and I, I learned that you were going to go into options, I was like, geez, options. It's always, it always goes over my head. I feel like it's complicated. But you outlined a very excellent explanation with in terms of purchasing a house and why it makes sense. Can you go through that explanation and what um, options are? Sure, sure. F first point I'd like to make is options are a small percentage of the overall thing I do, like, you know, a few percent, basically, the majority Fair of enough. what I do is buy solid companies, hold them and collect the dividends. And so again, you're looking for the well, I mean, in one of my books, The Idiot Millionaire, I talked about what I call idiot proof stocks, so you're looking for stocks that are you know, not complicated, not going to go out of business, that kind of thing. So I want to reiterate that as the quality of the companies you're investing in is is, is of paramount importance. Okay. So again, um, some people are know a lot about high tech and can invest in that effectively good for them. That's not me. So I don't play in that sandbox. So I'm talking about the Colgate toothpaste. I'm talking about, you know, the Tim Hortons where you go get a coffee, you know, every day and it's, it's simple enough for a six-year-old to understand. I'm talking about very basic, simple businesses. So that's the majority of what I do is planting the seeds, letting the tree grow and harvesting the fruit. In other words, 
and buying some stocks and collecting the dividends. That's the vast majority of what I do. Now on to options. Um, this was just a strategy to try to get stocks more quickly. Okay. Or sorry, more cheaply. Sorry. Um, this was a way that I could get stocks more cheaply. So essentially the way it works is if I am evaluating a stock, let's say it's again, I'll just use a generic name, ABC company. And let's say it's trading at, I don't know, $120 a share. And, you know, it, it, it pays uh, $6 a year dividend. So a 5% dividend. So I'm like, Ooh, I really want that, that company, but you know, Ooh, I think it's a little bit expensive. What I can do is I can sell what's called a put option and don't get bogged down by the jargon, but basically I could uh, promise to buy it anytime, let's say within the next six months for a hundred dollars a share. Okay. And somebody will pay me to do that. Somebody might pay me a dollar or $2 to do that. So I collect that money right up front and then we sit and we wait and with a dollar, a dollar or two dollars per share, right? Yes, they'll give me a dollar okay. or two dollars per share. If if I'm just using random numbers here for, for you know, if I promise to buy that company, let's say anytime within I don't know, let's say the next three months or something. So I get the dollar or two dollars a share, and I take that and I put that in my pocket, and that's great. And then we wait, and so let's say it's three months out. So I wait for three months, and stock prices go up and down, up and down, up and down. But at the end of three months, there's only one of two possible scenarios. Either the, the price of the stock has fallen from its $120 down to $100 or below, at which time I'm forced to, obligated to buy it at $100 a share, or it doesn't. Now, if the stock price, let's say it stays at $120 a share, then I keep the $2 they gave me for free. That's the money for nothing part. I keep the $2 for free. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Now, if the stock does fall to $100 or below, I'm forced to buy it at $100. So I end up getting it for $100 a share. Originally, it was trading at $120, but now I get it for $100 a share. And, you know, it, it had a $6 dividend. So originally, I was getting a 5% dividend, but now I'm going to get a 6% dividend because I'm buying the company more, more cheaply. And I also get to keep the $2 that the, that the, the person gave me. So I get all, all benefits I love that strategy because um, you either get the the stock of the price for what you wanted it for, or you just get paid for nothing. That's right. It's one of those two. So the outcome's generally good. Again, as long as you're sticking to quality, simple businesses. The, the only disclaimer, or not disclaimer, the only warning I'd throw out about options is sometimes it's very tempting to sell options on crummy businesses because the option premiums will be higher. Don't do that or you'll get stuck with, with crummy businesses and, and lose a lot of money. It's a very expensive lesson. So stick stick to quality and, and, and it works reasonably well. Got you. And uh, just to preface, I don't think I prefaced this at the beginning of the show, but um, you know, over here at the Purposeful Story Podcast, all we're doing is sharing people's stories and experiences. We're not here to um, give financial advice or advise anyone on their finances. We're just sharing, um, you know, everyone's purposeful journey. So um, that's exactly what we're doing here with Derek. Yeah, yeah, no, but I, know, Derek, I don't get into advice. Yes, of course. For sure. Um, are you still, so are you still writing for the um, uh, money? I believe it's money. Canadian Money Saver? Canadian Money Saver. Are you still writing for them? From time to time. Not not as regularly as before, but yeah, it's whenever I want to, basically. It's not, you know, hey, you have to write X amount of articles a, a, a year or anything like that. It's just whenever. But yes, I still do. Got you. Got you. And what's the longest stock you've, you've or sorry, longest time you've held onto a stock for? Yeah, to be honest, I should be holding my stocks longer, um, but the... 
but I still tend to hold them fairly long. So probably half of my holdings, I don't know, I don't have them in front of me, probably half my holdings I've had for over 10 years. Um, Got you. Yeah, it's not It's not a trade. Tr- when, when people use the term trading, I it, it sends shivers down my spine because um, if you look at the, uh, let's say you look at the Forbes list of, you know, wealthiest people, most of the wealthiest people, ignoring the people that inherited their wealth, because that's just, you know, luckily draw kind of thing. But, but, but as far as the wealthiest people, most of them were business people, most of them owned a business. So in a sense, they owned a stock, their business for a long, long, long period of time. So you don't see people trading, you don't, you don't see the owner of McDonald's saying, okay, now I'll switch and I'll take Starbucks and then I'll, I'll sell Starbucks and I'll go into the energy business or something. You don't see that happening. So they tend to buy and hold and hold and hold and hold. And Buffett's the same thing. I mean, Warren Buffett buys stocks, then holds them for decades in many cases, right? So that, that's the approach you wanna be taking. Um, I don't know of anybody on that list that's an active trader. So trading is more like going to the casino um, that's great. It's fun if, 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 if that's what you want to do with a small little bit of play money. But generally, when you leave a casino, casino your pockets are most of the time empty. Um, I prefer not to do that. Fair enough. And Derek, what does your, your current portfolio look like right now? Like what type of stocks are you holding right now? Yeah, so my current portfolio is, I don't know the exact number, somewhere around 27 or 28 stocks. I usually keep it somewhere between 20 and 30 stocks, you know, so it's like 27 or 28. I don't know the exact number right now. Approximately half of it is invested in U.S. stocks. The other half of it is invested in Canadian stocks. Um, I don't tend to buy emerging market stocks directly just because I can't trust the accounting and it's it's more risky essentially, right? So I'd rather gain my exposure to emerging markets by huge multinationals. So for example, um, I own shares in PepsiCo. Well, PepsiCo operates in over 200 countries, so they are growing in, in different countries. I mean, same with Colgate and whatever. Um, as far as companies I own, those are the kinds of companies I own. So Pepsi, Colgate, um, I own CN Rail. I mean, the rail business is hard to replicate because all the track has already been built. You can't start smashing down buildings in downtown Toronto to build another railway track through there. That that sort of train has left the station type thing. Um, I own Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett's company. I own Visa, you know, when you make a purchase with your Visa card, that kind of thing. I own I own shares in that. Um, TD Bank, um, you know, tra- uh, TC Energy or TransCanada Pipeline that ships oil and gas across Canada. Th- th- those basic types of companies. Great, great. Um, so just a quick question. So you were talking about when we were talking, you were talking about long-term investing, but, um, what's, what's your, what advice would you give or, you know, suggestions would you give to others who are maybe a little bit later in age, um, forties, fifties, maybe even sixties who want to look to get into the stock market and they say, okay, it's too late for me to invest in the stock market. What? Is there any suggestions you give around that? No, it's never too late. It's kind of like, let's say you've um, uh, eaten too much junk food and not exercised and you smoke and you drink a fair bit and you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s and you're feeling the effects of that. If you stop smoking and stop drinking and try to eat healthier and try to exercise a bit, you're still going to get benefits. Now, maybe you won't get the same degree of benefits that somebody started when they're 20, but you are still going to get the benefits. The exact same within with investing. Um, so anybody starting out, I'd, I'd throw out, you know, Warren Buffett's two rules of investing. So rule number one, don't lose money. And rule number two, always remember rule number one, basically. Um, so you want to stick. You're not looking for home run stocks. You're looking for safe, you know, safe singles, basically, if you use a baseball analogy. You're looking for for, for simple things that are going to do okay over time. And again, you know, the, the Johnson & Johnson, the the Colgate, the, the, the TD Bank, that kind of thing. 
Got you. Got you. And in this current current economic climate that we're in, if you were in your 20s or 30s, um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I, I know what you're going to say anyways, but what 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 strategies would you implement um, to take advantage of this bearish market that we're currently in? Yeah. So again, the same strategy that I take right now. So I would still now, now maybe if I was in my twenties and stuff, maybe I'd have a better pulse on, you know, high tech stocks and stuff. And maybe that's something if I knew and understood it, um, which I don't, but if I did know and understand it, maybe I would look into that, that area if I was in my twenties right now and stuff, but barring that um, I would, do the exact same approach that I do now. So I'd be looking for solid dividend paying stocks, um, hopefully that are selling cheaply, that have been beaten up, um, you know, re- recently, and I, I would buy shares in them. Fair enough. That's the answer that I thought you would <laughs> you would say. Um, and what's what's next for for Derek Foster? Oh, geez, I don't know. I can't can't even think of what I'm going to have for lunch yet. So <laughs> I, I I don't really know. I mean. Um, we have we have a bunch of kids. We have eight kids, so we're we're busy raising them and stuff. So that that takes up a lot of time and and whatnot. And other than that, um, I, I don't know. Just keep collecting the dividends. And uh, gee, I, I don't know. I, I wish I could give you a better answer. That's not a very good one. I apologize. <laughs> no worries, no worries. I mean, speaking of kids, you got eight kids. Yes. Um, what what advice would you give to parents who have kids but you want to get them started in investing? Like what what advice would you give? And I'm sure you're you're administering that advice on your kids right now. Absolutely. So um, again, that's why I wrote the Lazy Investor book. You know, the subtitle was start with fifty dollars and no investment knowledge because I was thinking about kids. I was thinking about you know as simple as a grandparent or something that wants to give something unique for Christmas and buys them one or two shares of. I don't know, Walt Disney stock or whatever, and enrolls them in a drip so they can, you know, they can, you can actually get a certificate, by the way, which is kind of cool. So, you know, the kid actually owns, you know, hey, I own part of Walt Disney or whatever. So if you actually go there, they, hey, I kind of own part of that or whatever, you know. Um, so, but, but getting them started early, that's, that is why I wrote the Lazy Investor book. Um, other than that, like, I actually talk to my kids about investing a little bit. Um, sometimes they want to hear it. Sometimes they don't. It, it, it just depends. But, but I think putting it on their radar, because I found, most parents, they really want their kids to, you know, learn and study hard and, and ho- hopefully go to, you know, some sort of post-secondary, you know, educational institution and get a good job and whatever. And the conversation kind of ends there. And I think, you know, in having a blind spot towards the, the potential of investing and especially investing early is, is that does kids a huge disservice. So I think, you know, at least bringing it up, showing them, explaining them how it works and stuff. And again, that's why I wrote the Lazy Investor book. As a business owner, the more you can leverage your time, the better it is for your company. There is this amazing online resource called Fiverr, where you can hire someone for just $5 to do just about any task for you. Whether it be logo design, market research, videography, or website building, Fiverr has it all. Please go to imkobe.com forward slash resources and click on the Fiverr icon to make an account. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. All right. Welcome to the purpose round where we ask the right questions that really bring about the purpose behind our entrepreneurs and creatives and their journey. So, Derek, I'm just going to ask you a series of questions um, which require brief, short answers. Um, So here's the first question. What is your purpose? What is my purpose? Right now, my purpose is being a dad to my kids and doing the best job I can in, in, in raising them. That's that's priority number one for me right now. Got you. What is an everyday habit that adds value to your purpose? Reading. Reading um, 
reading to the kids, re reading to know more about things, um, just becoming a better, you know, more well-rounded person, more knowledgeable person, I think. If you could have a conversation with one person, living or dead, who would it be and why? Probably Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger, his partner, because they seem to be very thoughtful and even outside the realm of investing. I mean, I owe my whole, well, not my whole, but the vast majority of my success or situation um, to, to, to how generous Warren Buffett has been with, with his knowledge and whatnot. And I just find that he's so thoughtful on a range of topics, even outside of investing. What is your main strategy for organizing your day? Oh, geez, we don't we're not very strategic because it's more chaotic. It depends what happens with the kids because we have younger kids, too. Right. So, you know, it might be simple as, you know, teaching the daughter how to ride a bike or whatever. Um, I have sort of a bit of luxury in the sense that my time is my own. I'm not you know, I'm not selling my time to, to earn a paycheck type thing. Um, so, so that gives me a little bit more leeway. Um, but yeah, with if anybody has kids, especially a number of kids, um, chaos reigns supreme at times, and you just have to be more re reactionary than proact proactive in some days. Got you. What was your worst moment, and what did you learn from it? Oh, I don't know the absolute worst moment. I can't think. I mean, some things that maybe I don't want to share. <laughs> um, I don't know. Investing in stocks, I guess, when I was young and not doing the proper research and, you know, not not uh, making the correct decision, like I talked to you about the Radio Shack purchase. And uh, I guess I learned from it to, to, you know, learn about what you're going to do before taking action on it. Fair enough. If you had to build a business from the ground up with only $100, how would you leverage that? Oh, geez. I think um, when you're starting with just a hundred bucks or whatever, you need a lot of sweat equity. Equity. You need a lot of, you know, um, wearing out the soles of your shoes and, and, and getting down to work essentially to get it going. I've, I've witnessed that with my dad. I mean, when he started the used appliance business, we, were, we had sort of a semi-rural property. I mean, it's not rural now, but it was at the time. And, you know, he was selling appliances out of a barn in our in our in in the back of our house and stuff. So, so I think if you don't have a lot of money to get started, you have to make that up with, with putting in a lot of work. Cool. Which app or online tool do you use every day to help contribute to your success? None. No, nothing. None. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I might be dating myself here, but if you have any older <laughs> listeners that remember what life was like in the 1980s, that's my life today, basically. It's, it's, it's actually, sometimes it's a good call. I've, I've taken uh, breaks off of social media and stuff because, um, like I mentioned before, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So sometimes it goods it, it it pays to just stick to the old school, just reading an article, reading a a, a magazine on investing, just to, to keep yourself grounded, right? Yeah, actually, we were kind of antiquated because the kids were online a bit too much a few years ago. So we were <laughs> we were one of the few families in Canada that didn't have Wi-Fi for a long time. And then with this COVID thing happening, the kids have to do online schooling. So we we got Wi-Fi again. Um, so I'm. I spent a little bit of time watching some YouTube videos like, you know, because there's recordings of, you know, let's say Warren Buffett's annual meetings or, you know, other people that are just talking. And so, so that can be mildly interesting and it is easier to get information now, but it's also, as you say, easier to get disinformation or misinformation or whatever, too. So you have to be really you have to have a really good filter, I guess. Very true. What's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, geez. Uh, I think. I think my stepdad long ago said, you know, whatever you do, do something you enjoy because you're going to be spending so many hours doing it. And I think, I think that's true. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, from an outsider looking in, I, 
I probably seem like a boring guy sometimes because I really enjoy reading like annual reports of companies and stuff like that. So for most people, that would be about as fun as having root canal done. Um, but, but if you enjoy it, I mean, you're, 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 I, I think that's, you know, 90% of the battle. So I, I think you should be doing something you enjoy because oftentimes um, people can think, oh, I want to do, you know, this because it makes a lot of money and stuff. I think that's a mistake. I think you really got to focus on, on what you internally are built to do and what you really enjoy doing. For sure. Just a few more questions sure. here. What advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Uh, don't invest in Radio Shack. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. I gee, I don't know. Um, it's worked out reasonably well. Um, I, I can't think of any. You I know, mean, you retired at thirty. You retired at thirty-four. So, I mean, I guess you. <laughs> that's it's hard. It's hard. I don't. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of mistakes I made. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. So maybe they weren't too drastic. I don't know. Fair enough. List your top two most influential books. Top two most influential books. Hmm, that's a good one. Um, probably the two from Peter Lynch, uh, One Up on Wall Street and Beating the Street. And again, I don't really invest like him. Like he tended to find companies that were up and comers. I don't think I have the vision to do that. Um, but I think he gives a good analysis on, like he 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 sort of um, compartmentalizes the stocks and he talks about stalwarts in one of his things, which is the PepsiCo that's been around for a hundred years but still keeps making more money. Um, yeah, that that really set me on the right path. That was that was that was definitely a good book. Um, there's another book that I read many many years ago, and I think it's good. It's, it's by Philip Fisher. It was written in 1958, so now we're really going back. And no, I wasn't alive in 1958, um, but. Uh, <laughs> But it was called Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits. And I I kind of liked it in the sense that he did talk about Philip Fisher was actually had an impact on Warren Buffett. But he talked about hold, buying quality businesses and holding them for a long, long, long time, like decade after decade after decade. I think that was a good book, too, if I recall. Well, back in 1958, he was he was saying that. Eh? Yeah. Well, now, I wasn't reading I wasn't reading it in 1958. But yes, yeah. it's, it's one of the classics kind of thing. Nice. Um, tell us something that you think is true about business that most people don't agree with you on. Hmm, something true about business uh, that most people don't agree on. Hmm. I That's a really hard one. Um, I think on balance, business is an incredibly good force for society. Now, I think um, in some cases, businesses go off the rails and, and do the wrong things and do things that they probably shouldn't. But on balance, I think we're all living much better, healthier, longer, easier lives than we did a few hundred years ago. And I think all, the vast majority of the reason for that is, is, is you know, the advancements and, and, and stuff that has, has, been, has come to us uh, th through business, basically. All right. And is there any last piece of value you can leave with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, as far as that goes, I, I would really reiterate um, do, doing what you enjoy. Um, you know, a lot of people are already established. And then with investing, I would really emphasize that it's a marathon. It's it's not a sprint. Um, you know, there will be setbacks. So, you know, something like like what's happened recently where the I think in March or whatever, the February, uh, the stock market was down quite a bit. That's going to happen. So that's part of the the sort of deal you're making if you choose to invest is the stock prices um, are going to go up and down and there's nothing you can do about that. 
Um, I'm sure if they gave you a value of your home every day, your home price would also go up and down. I'm sure home prices are probably a little bit lower now than they were a month ago, just because there's probably fewer buyers available, but you don't get a quote every day. So you don't really worry about it. But I think for stocks, the fact that you can look up the price and see it can, can be a little disconcerting. So I would emphasize that people, again, buy the dividend stocks and focus on the dividends. So again, Colgate stock might've fallen, I'm, I'm using random numbers here, might've fallen 20% in the last month or whatever. Um, but the dividend's still going to be paid. People are still going to brush their teeth and they're still going to sell tubes of toothpaste and, and you're still going to collect the dividend. So focus on that. Don't get scared out of, out of, out of the investments you've chosen. Absolutely. I hope people are still brushing their teeth. We, we all hope so, eh? <laughs> Although it might, might be effective for social distancing if you don't. But anyhow. <laughs> and how can the Purposeful Story family reach out to you and learn more about your purposeful journey? Sure, yeah. Um, if, you're, if you're interested, you can actually fire me an email. Um, I don't get into specific advice for obvious reasons. Um, but you can go to stopworking.ca. And in there, there's a link to my, to my email and whatever if you have any general questions. Um, there's also a brief explanation of all my books. Um, and there's also my portfolio picks, which outlines basically the portfolio that I hold, like the stocks that I hold. And it's updated whenever I make a major, major trade in my portfolio. So, oh, I'm buying this, I'm selling this, whatever. So people can, if you go to stopworking.ca, and it's .ca because it's Canadian, um, you can poke around there and, and, and perhaps find a little bit of information and whatnot. Perfect. I appreciate you coming on the show today, Derek. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And thank you, Purposeful Story family, for listening to the Purposeful Story podcast. And remember, live every day with purpose so all your actions are clear. Talk soon. That's all for this episode. I hope listening to this podcast left you with valuable information that either strengthened your purpose or helped bring you closer to finding your purpose. We all have a different journey in life, and this podcast is in support of everyone's purposeful journey. Thank you so much for tuning in, because without you, there is no Purposeful Story podcast please feel free to email me at info at and let me know what you thought of this episode. To help spread the valuable information this podcast has to offer, all I ask is for you to subscribe to the podcast via the Apple Podcast app, Podcast Addict, Google Play Music or CastBox, give a rating, and pass this podcast on to one friend that you feel could benefit from this information. Don't forget to follow I am Kobe Talks on Instagram for updates on new episodes and go to iamkobe.com forward slash purposeful story for more valuable content. Special thanks to DJ Anna for the beats and Lala Wrights for the editing. Before you go, please remember that purpose drives your actions and your actions are a result of your purpose. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.